Welcome to Timeless Truth with Pastor Jim Thomas, a resource of the Village Chapel in Nashville, Tennessee. This week we're finishing up our current season and we'll return after the Christmas holiday to continue our study of the Gospel of Mark. Also, don't forget that on Monday, December 4th, we'll begin the first season of our new podcast, Creative Thinking with Kim Thomas. You can subscribe today in your favorite podcast app. But now, this week, as we continue the Gospel of Mark, here's Pastor Jim. So glad you've joined me again today for our continuing study of Mark's Gospel, another action-packed section. Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 30 today, uh, reminding you it's all about Jesus. And, and Mark is seeking to have us ask and answer the question, who is Jesus and how should we respond to Jesus? Watch what happens here. They came to Bethsaida. Now, Bethsaida is a town on the eastern side of the Jordan River as it enters the Sea of Galilee. So think about it this way. Jordan River um, um, sort of originates its fountainhead up toward Mount Hermon to the north of the Sea of Galilee. And as the uh, river flows down into the Sea of Galilee, and then at the southern tip of the Sea of Galilee, it flows out and runs all the way down to the Dead Sea. And so there's this Jordan River is this nice connection from the north to the south all the way down. But Bethsaida, just on the eastern side of the Jordan as it enters um, the Sea of Galilee. So they came there, Jesus and his disciples, and they brought a blind man to him, meaning to Jesus, and treated him to touch him. The idea is not just play tag. The idea is that the man was blind, he couldn't see, and they would love it if Jesus would heal the man. It's interesting that The initiative is taken by the people, the friends of this blind man. And uh, we're not really told much about him other than the fact that he's blind. Jesus, it says in verse 23, taking the blind man by the hand, uh, he brought him out of the village. That's curious that he withdraws from where everyone is. A lot of the miracles of Jesus are um, done in quite an open public spaces. This one, um, the raising of Jairus's daughter, that was done sort of in a private setting as well. Um, and so this is just interesting that he does this. Uh, so he pulls the guy out, pulls him away from the village itself. And after, this is interesting, the method is different this time. Sp- after spitting on his eyes and laying his hands upon him, he, Jesus, asked him, the blind man, do you see anything? And the man looked up and said, I see men for I am seeing them like trees walking about. That doesn't mean he was a J.R.R. Tolkien fan um, because J.R.R. Tolkien hadn't lived yet. But um, what's interesting, what it does tell us, though, is that um, evidently the man knew what human person's shapes looked like. And so he perhaps was not blind from birth, perhaps lost his uh, eyesight in some kind of an accident or by some kind of a disease. But uh, he sees images here, and but they're not very clear, is, is what he's saying. And this is sort of a, you know, kind of reflects what's going on even in the uh, minds and hearts of the disciples themselves. They, they're starting to see Jesus. They're starting to get who Jesus is, but they aren't, it's not, quite crystal clear yet. How do I know that? Well, wait till tomorrow's episode and you'll find that out. Um, it's it's part of that. Uh, and it's, it's part of even what we read here in just a few verses down. But for now, this man says, I see people, but it looks like they're kind of trees walking about. And so again, he, Jesus, laid his hands upon this man's eyes 
and looked intently and was uh, restored and began to see everything clearly. So here is Jesus spitting on his eyes, laying his hands on him, uh, asking if he could see anything. The man said, I can see things, but it's kind of fuzzy. It's kind of blurry. And again, Jesus lays his hands on his eyes. So a second time. And he looked intently and, and was restored, this man, and began to see everything clearly. So a two-stage miracle. It's interesting there as well. What was happening there? Don't really know. And a lot of Bible commentators might speculate that perhaps um, this was uh, sort of parallel to the, the, the stages of this man's faith. It's his friends that brought him forward to Jesus. Not He, he didn't step forward himself. And maybe there was a, a bit of bitterness, maybe some frustration over the years um, at what had happened to him. And, and perhaps he was uh, of a mind and a heart not to believe. And yet his friends said, come on, come on, come on. And they bring him to Jesus. And so in, in stages, uh, he comes to faith. And so in stages, Jesus restores the man. Uh, verse 26 says that Jesus sent the man to uh, his home, but said, don't even enter the village. Evidently, the guy lived on the outskirts of the village. And Jesus' best guess here is that he's saying, don't enter the village just yet. Go home first. And um, uh, Jesus, perhaps as part of that uh, maintaining the messianic secret, if you will, um, in other words, uh, not wanting to stir up a lot of uh, notoriety just yet. He didn't want to stir up a lot of uh, fervor, uh, especially political fervor about who Jesus was. Um, and so he, he asks some people not to, not to say anything. And of course, it seems like they all go around saying things. And of course, this guy, if anybody knew him, knew he was blind, um, they would also wonder why in the world he could see now. How did that happen? So um, Jesus uh, has come to open our eyes. And we see that here. And he certainly was able to do this for this man. And uh, uh, a fulfillment, certainly, uh, of Isaiah 35 and all that was predicted that Messiah would be able to do, open the eyes of the blind. And um, uh, so too, so many years later in our own day and time, to be able to open our eyes to see Jesus for who he is. And then to begin to see things the way that God sees things, to um, to have eyes to see the kingdom of heaven and ears to hear uh, his voice as he summons us and calls us to enter. And another one of those miracles, though, that arouses curiosity in the person of Jesus, that displays the authority and power of Jesus, that reveals the compassion and love of Jesus, that affirms the identity of Jesus. If he is the son of God, like he claimed to be, if he is the Messiah, like he claimed to be, then he ought to be able to do some of these kinds of things. It would be nothing at all for the one God creator of everything that exists, including gravity, including uh, energy, including the sun, the moon, the stars, the earth, uh, human persons, to design them, to design the human eyeball. In this particular case, this this man who uh, couldn't see at all, then went to fuzzy sight and then went to clear vision. Um, Jesus 
you would think if he was the son of God would be able to do exactly what we read him doing right here. All right, we've got to, I want to cover down to verse 30 a little bit. So let me read this next little section here. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. So this is, they're heading north here. Um, this is uh, Philippi, which is renamed uh, after Caesar. And yet uh, Philip, the uh, the tetrarch, called it Caesarea Philippi because I think he wanted to tag his own name to uh, Caesar, whoever, uh, you know, just whatever he could gain by doing such a thing. And um, uh, Philippi is on the sort of northern boundaries, if you will. And um, so as they're they're headed north in this uh, area, Caesarea Philippi, which I've been to, let's see, five five or six times, I guess it is, well known for its celebration of the... uh, 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 great pantheon of, of gods. And uh, um, this is fascinating to me that Jesus takes his disciples up there um, where virtually every kind of nature, God, every kind of nature, deity that human beings have thought up and created on their own uh, is being celebrated and worshiped. And Jesus takes takes his disciples up there to ask the question he's going to ask them. Uh, check this out. So they go to Caesarea Philippi on the way. He questioned his disciples, Jesus did, saying to them, who do people say that I am? And so he wants the disciples to get to think, get to thinking about what people are saying about who Jesus is. For now, the disciples are like the blind man, sort of in the middle of the miracle. You know, they're, they're still not quite clear themselves on who Jesus is. So Jesus helps them to think it through a little more by asking this kind of question. This, what I would argue is a rhetorical question to get those disciples to think about the way people are responding to Jesus. And they told him saying, um, some think you're John the Baptist, others say Elijah, but still others, you're just one of the prophets. And so that's a, <clears throat> you know, a reference to John the Baptist who has passed away now, and they would all know that. And so uh, the disciples are saying, when Jesus says, who, who do people say I am? The disciples are saying, well, the, the word on the street is that some people think you're John the Baptist uh, reincarnated or resuscitated from the dead, if you will. Uh, some think you're Elijah revived. And, and you know, this was a, a, a prediction even uh, that Elijah would come back before Messiah comes and that Elijah would come back and, and be revived and, and, and go around preaching and preparing people for the return of or for the coming, rather, of Messiah. But still others say you're one of the prophets. And so that'd be a, a far lesser view of, uh, uh, on the public level anyway, uh, of who Jesus might be. Honored, uh, but misunderstood in so many ways. <laughs> Verse 29, he continued by questioning them. All right, well, who do you say that I am? You see, he takes it from who do they say I am to who do you say, you disciples. And again, he's trying to get them from blurry vision to cleared vision on who Jesus is. Peter answered and said to him, thou art the Christ. Okay, that's pretty clear. And uh, the Christ is a title, of course. That's not Jesus' last name. It was, it was typically referred to as Jesus of Nazareth. And you you would be referred to by your hometown as opposed to having some kind of a surname or a last name. Uh, we call him Jesus Christ. He's Jesus the Christ. Christ is the um, Greek version of the Hebrew Messiah. So it, it, Messiah and Christ, whenever you hear those two titles, they're actually the Hebrew and Greek version of actually the same title. God's anointed king, God's anointed deliverer that he would, that he had promised 
to send. And so Peter says, you are the Christ. Well, all of a sudden, clarity is starting to, you know, the, the, those things that have been kind of blurry are now starting to clear up about who Jesus is. And verse 30, Jesus warned them to tell no one about him. Again, he seems to be tamping down uh, what could easily turn into some kind of political fervor. Um, a lot of people thought of the Messiah back then uh, as coming to set the people free politically from the oppressive Roman Empire. They were looking for Messiah, but they were looking for a category of Messiah um, that Jesus is not. He's not a political figure. Um, he's coming to set us free in the deepest, most profound way, uh, the way that really deals with our hearts. So what do we learn here, and, and what can we take away from this today? Well, I, I'm blown away by how chock full this little passage is. It talks about the identity of Christ, the claims of Christ, the mission of Christ, the message of Christ, and the impact of Christ. And I'll put all of this in the show notes. Uh, unless you know, if, you're, if you're a note taker, great. Let me say it again. Identity of Christ the claims of Christ, the mission of Christ, the message of Christ, and the impact of Christ. All right here in just these uh, this handful of verses. I like the way John Ortberg in his book, Who Is This Man? I love the title, and I, I love the way he says this about Jesus. He says, Jesus is mysterious, not just because of what we don't know about him, but because of what we do know about him. And you can read Mark's gospel and you'll see that kind of stuff. You you see him leading his disciples to actually see with clarity, uh, you know, so, so, some, get some idea of the identity of Jesus, um, the claims of Jesus, the mission of, what was his purpose in this world? Why did he come here? If he's the son of God, why did he come to earth? Why did he become a human person? And the message of Jesus, what's this repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand? What is that all about? And, uh, and of course, the impact, you can see it right here as you, you, you see it on an individual level with this blind man or in the previous episodes, we've studied him healing the deaf and mute man as well. You've seen him uh, preach all through Israel to the Jewish audience, but you've also now seen him, we've all seen him go out into Gentile territory as well, um, which which really we know from all the way from Gen the book of Genesis that the uh, the Lord's intention was that he would start. It would start in Israel. This uh, this gospel message that would come, and the the message of salvation uh, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. This would start there, and then spread to all nations, as as we have foreshadowed even in the book of Genesis, all the way back uh, in in chapter twelve and fifteen, and and others as well. Um, what is it about Jesus that makes him so mysterious? As Ortberg had said there. Um, it's not just what we don't know about him, but it's what we do know about him. And as you read through the Gospels, um, you find there are several things that are quite odd uh, that Jesus says about himself. And uh, there are things like, believe in God, believe also in me. So he puts himself in the same category as God. Um, that's, that's amazing that somebody would claim that kind of thing. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, that's, wow, if that's not true, that would make him quite the megalomaniac, wouldn't it? But if it is true, then we ought to take him really seriously, right? Yeah. Um, he made claims like this, no one comes to the Father except 
through me. So if you want to have a right relationship with God, if you want to get to God, if you find in some way you would like the salvation of God that's on offer, you're going to have to do it through Christ. You're going to have to put your faith, your hope, your confidence in Jesus. He said things like, if you knew me, you would know my Father. He said things like, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. This is, I mean, all of these are outrageous claims unless they're true. They even strike me as outrageous if they are true. I mean, they're just, wow, mind-blowing, eye-popping, heart-thumping kinds of things. But the kind of thing that draws me to Jesus, just like the miracles, the kind of thing that makes me curious about Jesus, that displays his uniqueness, his, his authority and power, it kind of explains that power. If you see him doing those kinds of things, then you go, hmm, maybe he is who he claimed to be. Um, in Mark chapter 14, when he's asked just directly, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed one? He will say, I am. <laughs> That's pretty clear. And you shall see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Um, he's doing a, a, a reference there to the sort of eschatological time when Jesus returns, the second advent or arrival or appearing of Jesus. Again, to make those kinds of claims you either just want to back away because you think the guy's crazy, or if it's actually true, if the the small miracles that he, that sort of foreshadow the the huge miracle of him, you know, coming out of the the tomb after you know the resurrection itself, the grant this amazing miracle, um, if all of that is designed to um, clarify our understanding of who he is, just like he he had this two-stage miracle with this blind man, then that starts to make sense. Uh, Jesus claimed to be the fulfillment of Old Testament scripture in Luke chapter uh, 22 or 24, I think it is. Jesus received the worship of many who fell at his feet. Uh, he accepted what should only have been given to God, worship. Uh, he claimed the authority to forgive people their sins. Only God can do that. The religious leaders that heard him say, uh, do this, to, to say this to the, the one man, that your sins are forgiven, they even said, only God can do that. And that, of course, is the point of the record of the Gospels, is to point to Jesus as the Son of God. And here in Mark chapter 14, the verse I just read about him sitting at the right hand of the Father, coming in the clouds of heaven, there, there is a, a reference to sort of, you know, when God wraps up human history on Judgment Day, that he would be, Jesus would be the one to decide the fate of all. Um, again, something only God can claim. Um, it is not an overstatement to say that Jesus of Nazareth is the most talked about individual who ever lived. It's not a distortion of history to note that the life of Jesus has been the subject of uh, more books, more movies, more television uh, specials, more magazine articles, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, than any other individual who ever lived in the world, history of the world. Um, and so people like uh, uh, Bono, for instance, in the, in the rock band U2 would say this, and I quote him. So I ask myself a question a lot of people have asked. Who is this man? And was he who he said he was? Or was he just a religious nut? And that's what Mark kind of wants to get us there. Mark's gospel, it wants to get us there. Um, again, making that case. Who is Jesus and how should we respond to Jesus? 
John Stott, and I'll close with this for today. Uh, he said, the ultimate question is absolutely plain, even to the man in the street to whom semantics, culture, and theology are all closed books. It's this. Is Jesus to be worshipped or only to be admired? If he is God, then he's worthy of our worship, faith, and obedience. If he is not God, then to give him such devotion would be idolatry. Yeah. Who's Jesus to you? Who's he today to you? I I have to always ask myself that question as I go through a book like this. It's helpful. And to remind myself of who he is, um, uh, that today he'll be my good shepherd. Today he's the door for me. Today he's the bread of life to me. Today he is the way, the truth, the life. He's the resurrection and the life. All of that today. I hope you'll um, come to see him that way with that kind of clarity as well. Let's pray, Lord. Thank you for revealing yourself to us. You, you came to, that you came to earth at all. You didn't have to. You didn't owe it to us, but you came. We're so glad that you did. Pray for myself and for each of my friends that are listening or watching today, Lord, that you'd reveal yourself to us in, in beautiful and in, in clear ways today. And then we might be able to go out and tell the story of how you've changed our lives and how beautiful, how majestic, how wonderful you are. In Jesus, your own precious name, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to today's study. Take a moment to leave a review and share this episode with friends and family. You can stay connected by signing up for our newsletter or follow us on social media. At the Village Chapel, we believe God's Word is unique in its source, timeless in its truth, broad in its reach, and transforming in its power. For more resources or to support our ministry, visit our website, thevillagechapel.com.